Spread the fire, welcome back to SMWX and in this episode we have an exciting one because we are going to be answering your questions. Yes, that's right. As you saw from the thumbnail, we are on to 50,000 subscribers. Thank you very much for that. It's an amazing milestone for this channel which we started in 2019. Yes, we've been slogging away making videos coming on four years now, and here we are, 50,000 subscribers. It's amazing the traction this channel is getting. So I put out a call on my Twitter, on my Instagram, and also on the YouTube community page. We got over 100 questions. I don't know if we'll be able to cover them all, but we're going to do as many as we can. Now, I would like to introduce you to a special guest for this episode. You won't be able to see her, but you'll be able to hear her. Her name is Tsolanang. She is the producer of SMWX. She's behind getting you all the amazing guests that you've got and also so much more to do with the channel. At some point, she also edited our videos as well. So she's really someone who's been central to this channel and she is going to be reading your questions and I will then respond to them. So drop a comment below, say hello, hello to Tsolanang and thank you to Tsolanang for all the great work she does. So let's get into it. We're going to break the questions into three parts because they kind of covered similar themes. So there are political questions. Then there are, is it questions about the channel and the media, Solomon? Um, well, there's questions about the media, questions about the channel. Okay. Then political questions and then personal questions. Okay, great. So, so four categories. So we'll jump right into the first category then. Well, I think the first question is from Hollaback and they ask, wow, only now. A whole Hollaback is, is the name. Yes, wow. Hollaback. Oh, oh, the question, sorry, can I say that again? Yeah, sure. The question is uh, from Hollaback and it says, only now, question mark, shocked emoji, shocked emoji, thinking emoji. <laughs> well, hey. It takes a while to get to 50k, you know, and lots of people want to start YouTube channels. It all looks great when you get to 50k subscribers and all of that. But like I say, four years and many videos with less than a thousand views. And then suddenly it reaches a tipping point. So hopefully the road to 100k will be quicker than 50k. My hope is that before the 2024 election, we get 100,000 subscribers. How about that? Cool. Right, so going to the political questions, John asks, what are pragmatic voting strategies? Or what what a pragmatic voting strategies? Okay, uh, John, pragmatic voting strategy. In my view, there are two ways to vote. Either you vote for something you really like, but if there's nothing you really like, you vote for the thing which you least dislike. So there's this famous political quote by the British economist, John Maynard Keynes, who says, if you can't find a political home by the law of attraction, then you must find one by the law of repulsion. So pick your favorite option. And if not your favorite option, then pick your least worst option. In my view, given South Africa's current situation, it's untenable to vote for the status quo, i.e. the people in power right now. So you have to choose the least worst alternative in order to hold those accountable 
for the mess that we're in as a country. But that's just my view. All right, we have one from, I think it's Gangs. And in your opinion, what's the state of journalism in South Africa? The state of journalism, I think, on the one hand, South Africa boasts a proud tradition of journalism. And we also must never forget that we're really lucky to the extent that our constitution protects freedom of speech. It grants large protections that cover and protect the media. So remember, in other countries, if you criticize the government, if you criticize some powerful person in business, then you get taken away to some basement somewhere and that's the end of you. So we have a lot of freedom to say what we want to say. And I think journalists have in many ways been good at holding power to account. But two big problems. Number one, the media is still too white in South Africa in terms of its ownership, in terms of its control, in terms of senior journalistic voices, especially in the private print space, also a lot in the broadcast space to some extent. Uh, it's still too male, and that's across the board. But also, I have to say, in the Ramaphosa era, the media allowed itself to become nationalized, in my view and become a mouthpiece for the Ramaphosa administration in many ways. I think that's changing now, but I think it's a big blot on the media copybook, the way they just followed the state line and the president's line in the last five years. Okay, piggybacking off of that, Tammy asks, why do we have such poor media institutions in South Africa? Tammy, I think it's in large part because media has been like I say, in the same old hands for a very long time. And it feels to me like we haven't found a media, a big media platform that on the one hand is both very critical of corruption and of state failure, but on the other hand is also anti-racist and, you know, fights also for gender justice. So we have media that do one, but not the other. And then we have media that do the other, but not the one. And we need to build those platforms and build them ourselves. And that's really the inspiration behind SMWX. Like no one's going to do it for us. We have to do the hard work of building our own brands, building our own platforms, making them engaging, and they will start competing. SMWX is now competing with some of the biggest TV houses in the country, certainly um, on you know platforms like DSTV our numbers are similar. So we've got to build it for ourselves and no one's going to do it for us. Okay, so Lerato wants to know, what strategies can we adopt to make sure that we hold the government accountable, especially Cyril? And then she believes that media is compliant in this and she's wondering how we as ordinary citizens can change this. And also how, sorry, and also hold this... Uh, and also hold the same media accountable. Mm, mm. Interesting. I think it's about raising your voice. One thing I've noticed when I also speak about inequalities in the media is you'll see like big companies, they'll send a complaint to a media house. Like you mentioned our name and we think you're wrong for this reason, this reason, this reason. And if you don't change it, we're going to lodge a formal complaint. And media houses have to take that seriously. Like that's kind of the law. They have to take those complaints seriously. But it feels like those of us, you know, who are not, you know, from big corporations or who don't know the strategies, just kind of complain on the outside, but don't put pressure on the companies from the inside. So if you have, if you have a complaint from any media house, follow the formal complaints channels. 
and then your voice might be heard. And then if you get lots of people to join you, then you can, you know, lodge those complaints. But if it's just complaining on the sidelines on social media, then they don't take really that much notice. So I think one thing I've realized from seeing the inside of media houses as well is those complaints channels actually do work. We, um, urban flag, uh, urban flag concepts sends their congratulations and is asking for another fifty k in the bag. Oh yes. Uh, the question is: Do you think there are attempts to adopt more redistributive approach to the structural inequalities faced by South Africans by a certain by the certain cohort of Yo. political parties? <laughs> Thanks. Wow, wow, wow. Um, I still don't think that that's really been done right. Like the redistributive policies and strategies. I think there are parties out there that are talking about redistribution, but they haven't necessarily been able to convince a majority that when they redistribute, they'll also be able to preserve stability because you don't want to redistribute and then fall into instability, which undermines the redistribution. So I think that should be the aim for parties in the 2024 election. Like, how do you craft that electoral message, which is, yes, we want to redistribute wealth. We want to bring those in poverty up. But we also want to make sure that when we do that, there'll still be something to preserve and we won't spill over into chaos and instability. So I think that's the task for all political parties. Okay, so we are going into electoral politics, I think. So... Bona Lisa, excuse my pronunciation, wants to know, do you think South Africa would do well with a similar model as the U.S. of electing presidential candidates than simply being given one by a political party we choose? I actually do, you know. I think the ability to elect your president is just an extra democratic tool that you can use for accountability. And... To be quite frank, I think we know in South Africa, given our problems with various presidents over the years, that it would be nice to be able to directly elect a president. It's not a cure-all, though. Like, look at the U.S. with Donald Trump. He was directly elected, and they still got a dud of a president. So it doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a great president, but it does increase the accountability over the president. And the president then becomes uh, beholden to the people who elected her or him, and not just to the party. And I think the problem we have in South Africa right now is as long as you're popular in your party, you can do whatever to the people and you're safe for five years. And I think that has to change. And a presidential election, I think, would change that. How cool would it be if, if anyone could run for president in South Africa? I think we'd get some interesting, interesting candidates. And you wouldn't have to climb up the greasy pole of some party in order to get there. Okay, so we are having load shedding questions. So Elsa wants to know, is there anything we as South Africans can do and how do we go about forcing the government to explain load shedding? Ordinary people can't go to court. It's too expensive. How do we go about forcing the MPs, forcing that MPs get load shedding too? Mm, they wow. need to know. Thank you. <laughs> that would be quite a nice thing. Just just make sure the MPs' houses get load shedded. Is it load shedded or load shed? I don't know. We have our own like past tense of load shedding. People have different ones. Uh, load shedding. It's just so so depressing to even talk about. Like 
I think ultimately 2024 is where we're going to have to have our final say, because at the end of the day, load shedding is a political problem that came about because of bad decisions made by politicians. So every time those lights go off, just know that that's the result of the political power that has been exercised. And in my view, we need to send a message in 2024. And I'm not necessarily saying like, if you're an ANC person, you're bad and you're evil. Sure, it's okay. I think ultimately in democracy, democracy is about being able to change your mind. So maybe you support the ANC in one period of your life because they're doing really well. And then the ANC declines and then you change your mind and you vote for another party. But then the ANC rejuvenates on the sidelines and then 10 years later, you know, it's the best option. So I just think right now, those who've held power are just too complacent and they need to be shaken up. And 2024 is an opportunity to do that. So that's the only real light at the, excuse the pun, end of the tunnel that I see. Amarula would like to know if you think we'd be satisfied with the state of life and if you would reach if we would reach that satisfaction, what would South Africa look like if it satisfied everyone equ equally or equi equitably? Sorry. Um, you know, I actually don't know what that would look like. There's this interesting like movement in political philosophy where on the one hand, there are ideal theorists and ideal theorists are people who believe that you can imagine what a perfect future looks like. And you should work towards that. And then there are people called real theorists. And real theorists say, we don't know what a perfect future looks like because our minds are not capable of imagining it. But what we should do is just remove the injustices that we can immediately see. So all I can say is it would not have load shedding. It would have more accountable government. Wealth would be more equitably redistributed. And we would have basic services available to everyone. And I think most importantly, we would feel a sense of public safety and private safety. So you could walk the streets in safety. You wouldn't feel like you were under the constant threat of violent and senseless crime. Those things I think would constitute a just South African society. Throw in racial justice and gender justice on top. And that looks pretty good to me. Okay, Tapalo would like to know, considering countries where online voting is currently being used, do you think this is feasible to introduce in South Africa or what should be done to make it feasible? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think we should at least explore the option. When you look at just the amount spent on ballot papers and the logistics of, of the election, I don't see why in 2023 when it's possible to create artificial intelligence that can answer any question why we couldn't create an online voting system. There would obviously be questions about security. There would be questions about transparency. But those questions exist for um, non-online systems too. So I definitely think we should, we should think about it and look into it. The other thing I often think is right now you have to opt into voting. So you have to go and register to vote. And then only once you're registered, yes, everyone should register to vote for 2024. Only once you registered, can you then vote? What if instead of that, you had to opt out? So you automatically are registered to vote. But if you don't want to vote, then you have to go and deregister. I think that would be a way to improve the voters role and also 
just make the system a lot easier so you don't have to go through the bureaucratic it's not even that hard to be honest to register but sometimes people don't know they have to register just register everyone based on the population data you have and then if you don't want to vote then you deregister what about that thoughts comments below okay so this one is a political it's a political question but it's for you specifically and the channel rabbit wants to know when will the campaign towards 2024 start profiling different political parties, debates, etc. I want to know this one personally. Yes, Solanang's pushing for this one. Solanang just wants the political debates. No, for sure. That's actually how the channel started. In 2019, this channel was built off the election. So we invited all the political parties to come onto SMWX and we were like, let's do a digital election platform for young people. So I think soon, maybe like around July, um, July, August, we can build up towards the election. Believe me, this is going to be the place to be for election interviews, analysis. We're going to get everyone to come onto this couch. I think that by the end of this election, surely the president himself must come onto SMWX. What do you think? Um, Solanang, when do you think we should, we should start? Like July, August for the election? Uh, as soon as possible, you know, I want to get flewed out to go meet some of these politi- political parties, you know. For sure, for sure. Um, George would like to know, does joining a public broadcaster mean you'll now have less, you'll now be less critical of Ramaphosa or speak less truth to power? I don't think that's possible, but okay. <laughs> I mean, check out the last episode we did, which I've done since I was on the public broadcaster. For those who don't know, I started a show on SABC. Um, just watch that episode and see, see what you think if I'm less critical. Timba would like to know, how do you think South Africa would do under a theocracy? Theocracy? Theocracy, um, where basically religion runs the state. I'm not a fan, to be honest. Like, I think religion is important in the private realm of life, but... I don't think there are many important or noteworthy historical examples where running a state according to a religion has gone well. And I think there are many where it hasn't gone well. So I'm all for people's religious beliefs and people, you know, practicing their religions ardently. But I don't believe it's the best way to organize a state, especially a state as diverse as South Africa is. So not a fan. Um, there's a part two to the question which says, do you think we need to start looking at other models of governing since democracy isn't working in the South African context? I'm not so sure democracy isn't working. I think that governance isn't working. And we must be careful of assuming that the only form of democracy is the one we have in South Africa right now. Because for sure, this democracy is not working. But I was recently in Japan, and Japan is an incredible society because on the one hand, it's extremely prosperous, but on the other hand, it's also democratic. So I think you can have both things. So there are people who say, well, you know, democracy isn't prosperous, so you just need an authoritarian leader and a dictator to come in and set things right. I'm not so sure about that. I I really value my personal freedom and the ability to speak and not live under a totalitarian government that could just kill you at any time. But on the other hand, 
you can have a democracy and not prosperity, which is what South Africa has. But there are a few societies where you have both democracies, so there's a lot of freedom to speak, to do what you want to do, but there's also prosperity. And I think that's got to be the aim for South Africa. Few of those societies exist, but they do exist. And I think we need to be one of the examples in the world which both values democracy and gives people prosperity. So the Emma Man News has another has a two-parter where he or she or they ask, what is your view regarding the cessation of Cape Town from South Africa? And do you think Duduzani Zuma has a chance of success in his small campaign to be a president? Huh. Why are we throwing shade at this campaign like this? Um, a president, not the president. Oh, just a president. A president. Um, Western Cape secession. I actually did a whole conversation on this on the SABC show. You can watch that. It's on YouTube as well. I also wrote an article for the Mail and Guardian on that. So I'd encourage you to go and look at that. But I basically think this idea of the Western Cape becoming independent is a naive, racist and impractical idea. Duduzane Zuma becoming president. There's one thing I want to say about this because it's something I don't understand is you can't run to be president of South Africa. We've just established that because our system doesn't allow that. So our elections are about electing parties into parliament. And then once those parties get into parliament, parliament elects the president. So you can't run for president. So I'm not sure where this idea of anyone running for president exists because it's impossible under the constitution all you can do is run for parliament and then hope that parliament would elect you president but the thing is because parliament is comprised of political parties why would any political party elect someone else outside of their party to be president so i think in many ways i haven't really followed duduzane zuma's own campaign but i've seen the media repeating this thing Duduzane Zuma's running for president. And then I saw someone else say they're running for president. You can't run for president in South Africa at the moment. And that's just the, the nature of the constitutional system. So that's my view on it. Should independence candidates run for parliament? Definitely. I think that's a great thing. And, you know, more voices could be interesting. Independent candidates aren't necessarily just good. One should look at their program very carefully as well. But I think we need to reform the electoral system more than the current uh, reforms have and probably will only get there in 2029. So that's my view on this uh, wider question of running for president. Um, yeah. I think we should probably leave the political questions there, to be honest. Okay, we had one about uh, foreign policy during the Zuma, Ramaphosa and contrast with the Mbeki era. And then there's three more. Okay, um, I think um, we can leave that one. Question, do you, does former Obviously President we'll Zuma... This, this part up. Does uh, former President Zuma still have his... Okay, that one of spies. And oh, then... Yeah. Uh, okay, let's end on that one. Okay. Yeah. There's, okay, so there's the list of spies and then... Should we leave at, should I ask the foreign uh, policy one? Um, I think let's just do the spies one. Then we'll move from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 
Oh wow, this is long already. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Forty. Mm, it's a celebration, guys. The longer the better, actually, for the viewers. Yeah. All right. So Sean, yeah, Sean's one. Okay. Cool. So Sean Williams, to wrap up this political section, wants to know. Well, since congratulations, buddy. Thanks, Sean. Uh, and would like to know, does former President Zuma still have that list, the list of spies? If you ever interview him again, would you kindly ask him who is Ralph? Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't know about this, I interviewed former President Zuma around, was it 2019 or 2020, I think. That interview is one of the biggest interviews on this channel. Check it out. Um, and he said, no, he, he has a list, I think, of like people who were apartheid and foreign spies. And he was going to drop that list at, at some point. He also made those statements at the State Capture Commission. Um, I don't have the list, sadly, but uh, we should definitely check it out. Maybe if I ever speak to him again, um, I'll ask him to uh, to drop the list. Hashtag drop the list. So, yeah, if we ever get him on SMWX again, that'll be the first question. So thanks for that. Receipts, receipts, receipts. Oh, yes. We want the receipts. Receipts shall be dropped. Okay, so moving on to cool. the academic section. Okay, cool. Academic section. Yes. So our first question for the academic section is from Miss P. Mm -hmm. And she wants to know, how do you start a YouTube channel? And what advice would you give to someone who wants to start, especially unemployed graduates? Great. And I really think this area and this sector is going to be one of the biggest areas of youth employment. I don't think government, quite frankly, even understands it, even some of the corporate sector. But young people themselves, creative young people, are just building a sector for themselves, if you really look around. And it's quite amazing to see, and it's happening right now all around us. For YouTube channels, I would say two things. Number one is consistency. So as I said, I've been making these videos, we've been making these videos for four years, right? And believe me, those first, like, 50 videos were really, really tough. And you don't really get the traction. But you get rewarded for that consistency in year four and year five. And the thing is, it's like an exponential curve. So year one, two, and three are really difficult. But then year four is amazing. And you get like 100,000 views for lots of different episodes. So you have to have a consistent plan that is actually quite on a long time horizon, on quite a long time horizon. The other thing... I would say is the the further you get into it, a good team is is key. So you have to learn all the different aspects of, of how you make a video. And then once you're good at understanding how a video gets made, then you can delegate to other people who are even better than you. And then you your whole level raises because you've got people around you who are better than you at each thing. And then you can focus on the content side of things. So I think later on, it's also about finding a good team and and building together. We've we've got a great team here. Tola Nang has been on the channel, as I say, like she understands this channel probably better than I do. Artsake, who's our production partner, as you can see, like they know the production side backwards. So we work together and I come with my political knowledge and analysis and guests and interviews, and we put all that together and it's bigger than the sum of its parts. So I think 
Teamwork is also key. Even though it looks like it's just one person, it's actually many people. Okay. Um, Fortunate would like to know, in your view, what do... What do you think intellectuals and academics should play? What role do you think, sorry, intellectuals and academics should play in shaping public discourse and policymaking, particularly in what happened to the lights? I think it's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's chill. It's it's it'll just be like a different phase of the video i guess <laughs> having said the production is just amazing I'm i was sure. about to say like she was taking a nap while yeah. you're talking about it's about the team, know, the, team the production <laughs> just know. yeah okay yeah okay so should i start it from the top um no 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 it's fine it's fine yeah <laughs> no we're keeping that we're keeping that okay. also so people can see like it it doesn't have to be perfect when you you know on youtube like and the audience is also like the when you build a connection to the audience, they will forgive you for little mistakes, you know, and like so it's all good. It's, we've got the general over here, Dumza, who's very, uh, very pedantic about everything being perfect. And uh, you can see all our perfect episodes. They are largely down to his eye. Ah, thanks a lot. For oh, that. Well, okay. I mean, Tolanang also like helped a lot. Like that's for sure. Like, uh, so, <laughs> Fortunate would like to know, in your view, what role do you think intellectuals and academics should play in shaping public discourse and policymaking, yeah. particularly in the context of addressing complex social and political issues? I think they should play a huge role. You know, there's this kind of sensibility in academia that if you do something that's publicly noteworthy, it's almost like it's not intellectual enough it's like oh you're doing like public work you're watering down your your analysis and and your philosophizing i take the opposite view like if you have a really good idea i think that idea should be able to be explained to a wide group of people it might be a complex idea but it's your task not only to do the deep thinking but then also to do in some ways the translation of that thought so that it can be understood widely so I think intellectuals and academics should be much louder because they have great ideas and they often confine them to intellectual circles, which I'm not saying is bad. Intellectual academic journals and those places do great work. But I think we need more voices talking about alternatives, talking about where the country should go, talking about what policies should be implemented outside of just politicians constantly talking about that. As a scholar yourself, this one is from Wampato TV. Wampato TV, excuse my pronunciation. As a scholar yourself, how do you read books sitting down in your car, reclining, etc.? That's really interesting. Um, I think there are many ways to read a book. So I think one of the misconceptions about reading is that you can only do it in one specific way. But in actual fact, there are thousands of ways to read and it really depends what you want from the book. So there's reading that you do by studying and there you're trying to, as quickly and efficiently as you can, get the idea, translate the idea into your own words so that you understand the concepts so that you can memorize them. And there's a way of reading for that. What I typically do is like I'll scan, I'll try to get a sense of what are called the schema. So like what is the structure of this work and then once I have a structure in my mind, 
I'll then go in and try to add flesh to that structure. So I'll scan quickly, make a structure, and then I'll do another layer of reading. And then you do, the more layers you do, the deeper you can get. There's just like quick reading where you just want to get the sense of what's happening and, and just get the main point. And that's just a question of like looking, scanning very carefully, maybe taking the first line, the last line, looking for keywords, and then, oh, I think I've got that, moving on. So that's kind of called extractive reading. That's when you're like trying to find your way around a subject and you just want to get like, hmm, what, what's the debate? Okay, these people say this, like these five authors think this, these five authors think that. There's deep reading where you go line by line and you, you meditate on each line, you know, and that's also a pleasurable kind of reading. There's reading for fun where you don't even realize you're reading. You're just so interested in the story and what happens next that like your brain does it for you because you're just interested in the next thing. I listen to audiobooks. I listen to tons of podcasts. So all of these I consider a form of reading and learning how to read is actually one of the most important skills. And I don't just mean how to look at words and know what the words say, but how to read in different ways and how to put information in your mind and how to memorize that information. Once you know that, you pretty much can learn anything from there. There's an interesting book uh, by someone called Mortimer Adler, um, a 20th century US academic, and it's called How to Read. And it has like lots of different ways of reading. Finally, there's this other way of reading called syntopical reading, which is when you read multiple things at once. So like on your on your computer screen, you have like three things and then you read them against each other. Um, or you read like you have three books open and you're trying to find a question and you read one paragraph, this, and then you compare it to this paragraph. There's so many ways of reading and I could probably make a whole video. Maybe we should make a whole video on how to read. What do you think? Comment down below if you want a video on reading strategies. Great question. We should have shot that video before you put me behind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before I threw you under the bus to have to read all these you very, know. quite quite wordy questions. So Mary Ann would like to know, what are your thoughts on child rights activism? Nothing major to say about that, except I think it's really important, really great. There's the Children's Act, which is like a very important piece of legislation, which I think empowers a lot of child rights activism, the Constitution as well. So more power to those working in that space and that sector. Um, my wife does a lot of work in early childhood development, and that's a key place for the development of a country because education starts like right at the earliest stages of life. And we're not doing very well at that as South Africa. Okay, so the last question for this academic session is from Arnold, who would like to know how we can revitalize Steve Biko's black consciousness. Since as, a, as the black community, we've lost the genuine grasp of its purpose. To be honest, we've not lost, but rather we've lost ourselves. And then in quotes, black identity. It's an interesting one. I'm going to put that one into a video because I want to do a biography of Beagle for a video. What do you say about that? So... Um, I'm putting that one in my back pocket. Look out for, because I want to do a series of like political biographies of these important figures who we think we know, but we don't necessarily actually know. So I want to do one of Chris Haney. I want to do one of Steve Biko. Those are the two I've decided for now. So let's do a whole video on that. Let's do a whole video on that. Thanks for the question.
Okay, so we're moving on to part three. Okay. The personal. Mm. So, Gamahelo starts off with a great question. Oh, you know, my. Amazing question. Yeah, we go. You know, um, how does it feel to transition to the right school? I'm joking. <laughs> how, t- how has it been lecturing adverts? Well, oh. like, that's basically what they ask. Ah, okay. It's been amazing. I love my teaching. I love my students. I really... I, have, I come from a long line of teachers on both sides of my family. So I teach first years, I've got a class of 500 first years. I teach master students, I teach honor students, but I really love teaching and it gives me great, great joy. So I've loved lecturing at WITS and um, really appreciate that. Interesting personal story. When I was born, my mother was a lecturer at WITS and now I'm a lecturer at WITS. So I feel like I'm back to the place where, where I started and this was the first place I ever lived, actually. So I was literally born and I lived on Vitz campus because my mother was a, a warden in a residence here. So uh, that's also been amazing to kind of take it full circle and come back to the place where I was born. UCT is cool as well, though, obviously. Just cool. I mean, Just- I, I, they don't pay the bills, so. Please remember that. Um, but if I- they want to pay some bills, then I'm open to negotiations. Um, Lerato would like to know, how did you build your academic (laughs) career? The what career? My academic career? Yes. Um, It happened organically. I never actually thought I would be an academic. What I love about the academic life, what I think a lot of, especially young black people don't get told is like you you say to your parents, I want to become an academic. And it's like, okay, that's not happening, right? But what I think we don't realize is that When you're in academia, you have a lot of time to do other things. So academia may not be the best paying job in the world. It's decent, pays actually pretty good, but you also have time to do other things. So I have SMWX, I've got the show on SABC, I have other things that I'm doing. So academia gives you stability, maybe not huge wealth, but it also gives you freedom. And a job is not just about having money. A job is about having money and balancing having freedom. Because if if you get paid a billion dollars every day, but you can't do anything with your time, then what's the point of a billion dollars, right? So you have to balance having your own time to do your own things with having the money to live your life. And academia is an amazing place where you get to balance those two things. You get to spend time with family, your children if you have them, your partner as well. So that's what I value about academia. And that's what made me fall in love with the academic life, to answer your question. Okay. So um, since you've spoken about family, this one is a little bit of a, I don't know how you're going to take it, but the Shady Lurker would like to know, are you going to consider sending your son to initiation school like how your parents did for you, being a quote-unquote modern parent? A modern Horsa man. Yes. Again. <laughs> um, no comment on that. That's that's a little too personal. Um, I mean, I, I really valued my time, Esutwini, as we call it. Um, but, yay. The negotiations are very, are very, because there's like, there's religious questions and then there are cultural questions. And then Hakim is also only one. So, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that. Like, so I'm just avoiding that one. I'm avoiding that one. (laughs) Once I've had the family negotiations, then I'll come back to it. Uh, But 
yeah. Of this and I can't believe you. How, how do you actually read that one out? Thanks, Tolang. Thanks a lot. Thanks no, very much. I mean, thanks, Tolang. I mean, the ancestors scare you. <laughs> All these questions about Ramaphosa, and that's what scares you. <laughs> Come on now. Oh, the people in Kukwala are gonna have serious questions to ask. Okay, Senzo sends congratulations and wants to know, do you think Unfiltered will have a positive or negative effect on SMWX growth? Hey, the personal questions are the juicy questions. Hey, wow, wow, wow. Unfiltered, which is the show I do on SABC, will it have a positive or negative impact? I think ultimately, side-eyed Tolanang, because Tolanang disagrees, but I think it's going to have a positive impact overall. Um... But I have to say, it's been pretty hard to balance the two. So I'm just trying to find my feet in terms of my own schedule and my own life and balancing those two priorities. But the SABC opens doors that I can't open as SMWX. And SMWX sometimes opens doors I can't open from the SABC. So I think they will work harmoniously in the long run and also free me up financially as well to do things that I could do that I couldn't do with SMWX before. So I think it's going to be a great harmonious relationship. I mean, if they positively <laughs> impact my salary, I'm oh, more wow. than willing oh, oh, wow. to accept yeah. and appreciate. <laughs> um, Drogo would like to know if this is too personal. So this one comes with a trigger warning. So um, I understand no, your mom is European and your dad, daddy, oh. is African. How do you deal with the sensitive political issues such as land, such as the land question and racism in your private space when those arguments come up, perhaps when you're sitting with friends? That's an interesting one. Honestly, it's funny. Although my family comes from diverse racial backgrounds their political views aren't that far away so like my mom is very clear that the land needs to be returned and so is my father so just because she's white doesn't mean and i think we also need to appreciate this although often race and political beliefs go together because if you're white you often believe in protecting your own privilege and if you're black you believe in the redistribution of wealth it doesn't mean you necessarily have to hold those beliefs just because of your race. Particularly white South Africans, I think there should be more who actually talk about the importance of racial justice because ultimately just because they are beneficiaries of apartheid doesn't mean that they should support its, its legacy. So the family conversations on politics are not like the white side of my family is like, yes, let's keep the land and the black side of my family is like, let's get the land. Um, we all kind of agree politically but i have had interesting conversations in my family like in more distant relatives where i've had like debates about colonialism which i'm very clear was not in any way anything that could be redeemed um so yeah um there aren't really those explosive political conversations in family and i'm very clear on where i stand politically with my friends so it's like we can debate and, and I have lots of friends where we debate things like you don't have to agree politically to have a friendship. I have friends from very diverse backgrounds like people who went to St. John's and people who live in Kukwala, right? And we all have conversations about the country. So I make my views clear and, and I think we should all do that. 
Please and thank you. <laughs> uh, Justin wants to know, are you planning on interviewing Advocate Mpofu anytime soon? Have him document his journey to get where he is. I, I'm always fascinated about when you mentioned that he wasn't always a successful advocate. Definitely, as I've said, I have interviewed him, but maybe it's time for another one. And definitely, I always tell him he needs to tell his life story and write it in a book because people see him in court now and they have no idea what it took to get to become one of the country's most famous and successful advocates. So I really hope he'll tell that story. Just a little thing to share, like he was first detained at the age of 17. Imagine being 17 years old and actually being in political detention. And that was for already being a radical activist at school. So yeah, he needs to tell his story because his story will will blow your mind. You, you don't even know the odds he had to surmount to even to just to get to wits. Never mind to study law, then to become an advocate, and then to become a senior advocate. So one day the story will be told. I hope so. It's the stuff of Netflix uh, proportions. Yeah, yeah. Um, Invictus would like to know this one. I think you must keep Penwell's thoughts in mind about creating sound bites that are not very nice. Um, they would like to know what's the difference between you and McG? For example, <laughs> the style of interviewing, how you choose the interviews, and last and last the qualifications between the two of you. Wow. And <laughs> would you agree to be interviewed by him? So. I was once invited um, to Mac G's show and then they canceled it at the last minute. Um, so I guess I did agree at that point. And I thought I would do it because just of the size of the platform. And like, I've been on many other media platforms. Like I disagree with ENCA's ownership structure, for example, right? Um, which I've written about in my book. Um, but I still go on ENCA. So I, I don't think going on a platform means you agree with everything that that platform stands for. Just like people who come onto SMWX don't necessarily agree with me on many things, but they come onto the platform because they believe the audience matters. I also have a lot of respect for like just building a YouTube channel over the last four years. I have massive respect for MacG's channel and the work it takes to build it into such a massive enterprise. So I'd be really interested to understand what they've done to to build it into that. So I'd love to talk to him one day just about that, like being players within the within the digital media landscape. Although I I appreciate there are levels to the game and MacG's numbers are are just in the stratosphere. Comment down below if they invited me, should I go or shouldn't I, and why and why not. Um, I feel like I probably would, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Solanan, should I go? Should I not? I definitely go. I want to see what that interview would look like. Yeah, um, be interesting. I think, yeah. yeah, the interviews are obviously very different. Like, my interviews are more about politics and, like, political thought, whereas I don't watch a lot of MACG, but I, I assume it's more like popular culture but they also do slide in some political topics when you're not, you don't even realize it. So I would so yeah. I'd be very interested to see how you respond to his line of questioning. Like I said, when the Penwell also mentioned it once that you are very um, 
kind of like put together and they have a more like energetic type of so i want to see how you'd respond to that type of energy yeah yeah it would be be very interesting um he's an interesting interviewer as well like one thing people don't know is interviewing is not easy it looks like the easiest thing in the world it's actually one of the hardest things in the world because you have to constantly be thinking while you're listening and also know that a camera is on you and you're doing all of those things at once and so anyone who has good interviews is actually in many ways like doing really really good and, and hard work so yeah okay so second last question okay um Bukeling, i think that's how you pronounce it has sends congratulations and says dr Cize, smwx is a need <laughs> and then the question is hashtag smwx is a need we need the i mean spread the fire low shedding in winter so please yeah exactly um what is your daily routine my daily routine shifts because i do different things on different days so i don't have like a set routine for each day so for example recently i started this show as mentioned on sabc and we film at 8 p.m so on those days i'm working from 8 until 9 and then there's usually like a debrief so my working day ends at like 10 p.m. So what I try to do on those days is I start a bit later. And then I'll shift my day out. But typically what happens is I'll wake up and the first thing I do is I spend time with my son. Okay, I wake up, brush my teeth, all that stuff. Spend time with my son for like between one and two hours first thing in the day. That helps my wife because... Uh, I'm doing my share of at least the morning um, childcare, and she can then use that time to do other things. So I spend time with Hakim, and then at about so that's usually between like it could it could start and my wake up time is now determined by Hakim's wake up time because if he's awake then I have to be awake. So he wakes up somewhere between six and eight. So I'll wake up with him then one or two hours so let's say around nine or half nine maybe ten then i'll then start my working day and then i have like a, an hour block where i do like eat a good breakfast um and uh you know like personal care stuff then i break my day into time blocks so if you know someone called cal newport um, he does this whole time blocking system. So I do a lot of time blocking. So I'll break my day into like hour blocks and then I'll allocate in terms of what the priority for the day is for the rest of the working day. Yeah, I, I guess I could make a whole video on that. Should we do a video on how to have a good day? Uh, comment down below because like this, so I've thought about this a lot. Like, Uh, political questions. Okay. Uh, who would the ANC form a national coalition with? My thinking right now, hey, I'm worried about South Africans, you know. ANC is going to, right as it stands, ANC is still in a good position, in my view. Um, I think they could pick off one of the smaller parties. But if they don't do that, I think they're going to spend a lot of effort trying to woo the EFF into a coalition. And the thing is that the DA is 
the DA is expelling the EFF and like trying to disassociate from them. So what what's the EFF supposed to do? It's like either you're not in any coalition because the DA doesn't like you, or can you see what you can do to try and get your policies implemented through the ANC? So the DA in some ways is driving the EFF into the arms of the ANC. And in some ways they want that because they want to contrast themselves against those two parties. But yeah, I think... ANC, EFF, coalition shouldn't be ruled out either. Um, so let's see. Let's see what happens. Okay, so this one is from Melo Esik. I don't know how to say this name. My apologies. Um, what, will, what will need to happen for corruption to end in South Africa? Hmm, I don't think corruption will ever end. But all we need is for corruption not to undermine the state. I think like every country has a certain amount of corruption and that's almost something you have to bake into the democratic project. The problem is when corruption stops services from being delivered, it stops government from functioning and it contributes to wider inequalities. So, you know, I think there are many things we could do. I've written a lot about how I think we can tackle corruption. I think constitutional changes are required, new legislation. Here's an idea that I haven't flouted before. Corruption is currently a crime, right? And in order to prove a crime legally, you have to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. So the NPA has to like have this watertight case so that you can convict someone of a crime. In other places in the world, corruption isn't just a crime, it's just a, it's a civil infraction. And there you don't have to prove things beyond reasonable doubt. Now you can't send people to jail but you can have civil damages so you can get the money back and pay it back to the state. So maybe we should introduce a civil corruption um, offense. We could still keep the, the criminal corruption for the watertight slam dunk cases, but I feel like we need to be able to sanction people in a way on the one hand that is legally enforceable, but that doesn't always require criminal standards of liability because that's really hard to achieve. Of course, we also need to capacitate the law enforcement agencies, NPA, the police, the judiciary, the criminal justice system, the correctional system. We need to invest massive resources there too. Okay, so Temba Stem 7 would like to know, how can we politically educate South Africans, especially those in poor areas who can't access these platforms? YouTube, digital platforms, I would argue... They're a lot more accessible today than they were five years ago, much more than 10 years ago. Um, I think many people, even Islalin, for example, use WhatsApp. So WhatsApp is like the most widely penetrating technology, digital technology. I think more widely adopted even than the SABC in some ways. So I think digital technologies will become increasing. Just just do whatever you can with whatever resources you have. And I think the one thing young people have right now is we know how to use digital media. So how do we get that into the hands and the eyes and the ears of as many people as we can? That's the that's the goal. Okay. So um, this wasn't for the academic section. Um, so the question is, would do you advise an aspiring attorney who later wants to be a judge to do articles at a small or big law firm, e.g. the big five. I don't know much about this, but what I will say from speaking to lawyers is 
I don't know, I think speak to people at the different firms. I've heard there are some big firms where they do give you important work, but there are other big firms where it's more toxic. There are small firms that are also toxic. There are small firms that also ask you just to make coffee. So I think speak to candidate attorneys that have been to places and find out what the best places are. I don't think big or small is necessarily the way to do it. It's where did I get the most important work? You can get them at big firms and at smaller firms. So try and speak to people who've been there before. And in your interview, if you get the interview, ask the firm about questions of like, is this a toxic working environment or not? Um, feel free to also ask those questions because it's ultimately where you're going to be spending a lot of a lot of your time. And how much hands-on work will I actually get? You know, and base your decision on the responses you get there too. Um, okay, so our next question is: What was the jump from UCT to Oxford like? Very scary. I would say go and watch my interview with Penwell because I spoke at length about what that was really like so i would say if you want to hear that go to that section of the penwell interview but it was scary it was scary it was it was really tough check out the story in the penwell interview okay so kb has a question this is for uh, the personal brother kb has a question when are you going to run for the presidency and under what banner <laughs> i've already I've already explained that no individual can run for the president. So that was the Tutuzane Zuma thing as well. So if South Africa has a presidential election, hey, who knows? One day, maybe. But um, for now, um, for now, no one can run for president. Uh, last name, Faith, um, wanted to know, what was your vision when you started your platform? How is that vision evolving if it is my vision for the platform it was actually election based it was just supposed to be for the 2019 election and it was like i could see digital media was starting to grow in other parts of the world and i was like wouldn't it be cool if we had a digital and a youth focused politics and current affairs channel for the election but then when the channel did a little bit better than i expected that election a lot of people were like, well, are you going to carry on after the election? And even though I hadn't initially planned to do that, I was like, yes, let's let's see what happens if people will watch content that's just not about the election, but about general stuff. And the, the platform has changed. Then, then we started doing that. We started getting traction. Boom. Then COVID hit. Then I couldn't go out and interview people. So then it became more about can I do my own analysis to camera? And then I started having to learn how to film myself. Then the platform went on like that. And then it came out of COVID recently. And then we started doing the interviews again. So you have to be flexible and fluid. And you keep the vision and you keep the principle. And then you remain flexible on the tactics. Okay, so we have a request here. And it says, hello, sir. Plug me to your shirt, guy. Those Chinese collar shirts are not. Wow, the one day I'm not wearing the Chinese collar as well, hey? I, I don't really have a so-called shirt guy. All I would say, firstly, we should do shirts, right? We should do merch. SNWX Chinese collar shirt merch. And hoodies. And hoodies? And hoodies. That's all I know. So hoodies. Comment down below. Hoodies, Chinese collar, one, both, all, none. Would you buy SNWX Chinese collar merch? Um, 
but basically like it's it's just about going out and finding fabric that you like there's a lot of interesting fabric usually in like the cbd of a city that you live in in south africa you look for your own fabrics and then you go to a tailor wherever that may be could also be you know somewhere close to where you live and you take a picture of the kind of shirt you want and then you get the tailor to measure you and then you get your shirt made um, and it's actually not that expensive because when you're buying the raw materials yourself, you're not doing the, you know, profit to each part of the value chain. So that's my advice. Otherwise, wait for the SMWX merch. If enough people comment down below and then we'll ship it directly to you. And if anybody is listening, would like to sponsor that, please do. Please, please do. Yes. Yes. Um, so Robin has a question that I've also wondered myself working with you which is have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome if you ever had to have you experienced rejection and if so how have you dealt with it definitely imposter syndrome was was very high at oxford so once again go back to that story in my interview with penwell yeah but a lot a lot ultimately it's just something you have to work through and you have to find an inner voice of confidence and that's very difficult i think there's there's a problem with being too confident and that's one end of the extreme but there's also a problem with not being confident enough and i think that's really kind of adjacent to imposter syndrome where you start second guessing your voice before you've even said something so my advice would be experiment at the very least so what got me over it at oxford was like i was like okay i'm gonna try speak now if everyone says what I said was just crazy and silly and ridiculous, then fine. But then people would say, you know what, that that's insightful. Like, thank you for saying that. Or you'd get positive feedback and it's like, whoa, okay, well, maybe, you know, and, and you just see. And then sometimes you get negative feedback and then you're like, okay, I need to recalibrate. I need to improve there. But I think those first steps to experimentation are really important for overcoming imposter syndrome. And I think... There's a bigger problem of not believing enough in yourself than believing too much in yourself, especially when you're young and you're black in the world because you're constantly told, well, you could never make it or you could never be great. or you. So, so you're constantly getting messages of inferiority and you need to find an inner voice of confidence to counter that. That's why I love hip hop so much because hip hop is about confident black expression. And there's something about that that just makes you feel better about yourself. Well, with that being said, Ben's Espresso has a question about your confident black expression. When are you dropping another album? Crying emoji. <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret. I actually have written and largely produced and composed a whole love album for my wife, Sumeya. So I've got the songs. I've got the I've got the beats. I need to record it, but I'm not sure of exactly how I'm going to release it. Because the music industry is just sharks everywhere. So I want to do it kind of independently, but I want it to have a big reach. So I'm just trying to work out those mechanics. And then, yeah, if I can get it right, then I will release that album. And then I have an idea for another one, which is going to be, so I'm going to do an album for my wife, and then I'm going to do an album of inspirational songs for my son. So confident black expression for like a young boy, going into the world so he can always have those songs at different parts of his life and that other people can listen and get like inspired by so that's the idea um if you're if you're in the music industry and you're interested in 
working on it holler at me let's see let's see what we can do well this one is straight forward why does liverpool suck why does liverpool suck i mean wow like i know who that is my friend shafi varachia shafi and there's, something there's even about a that, part two. Yeah. Where were you when Jared slipped? When Steven Jared slipped. You see <laughs> now. You see. It just... Thanks, Tsolalang, as well. Throwing me under the bus for the sixth and seventh time. <laughs> Look, the fact of the matter is that Liverpool is the best team in the world. Like, okay, yes, sure. We had a bad season this season. We're still going to make the top four over Man United. We're one point. <laughs> Maybe we should. Let's wow. pass the mic. I didn't vet. I didn't vet people for Liverpool. Oh, this is bad. Wow. This is so bad. You're with me. Noltando is with me. Liverpool fans, unite in the comments down below. Unite against all of this. All of this nonsense from other teams, right? Hey, if you're a Man City fan, actually, I can't say anything, to be honest. But Arsenal, uh, come on. Okay, one good season this season. Chelsea, Chelsea, where you at? Chelsea, Chelsea, where you at? Comment down below with where you at, because I haven't seen you for the whole season. Drop location. Send pin. <laughs> drop pin. Drop pin below, Chelsea fans. Man United, okay, whatever. But 7-0, seven, 7, I mean, 7 is a lot, even if you finish above us. <laughs> so, yeah, look, it's been real this season, I'm not going to lie. Um, quadruple last season, struggling for top four this season, but in Klopp we trust. In Klopp we trust. Cool. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, wow. Okay. No, yeah, you know. So we have, yeah. we have a question from Honorable Tumza from behind the scenes, and he would like to know your thoughts on the education pass rate being 30%. Yes. So what does that mean for our youth? I'm not a fan of 30%, but the problem is not so much the pass rate as getting more people above that threshold like it's not a i mean i don't think the 30 percent pass rate is high enough but the problem is not necessarily the pass rate the problem is the number of people who just aren't at 50 percent so the deeper structural changes to the education system need to bring more people above the 50 percent pass rate and that should then be a marker so yeah, that's that's my feeling. Um, we have massive basic education challenges, and maybe something that I'll write about in future because it's the one policy area I haven't actually thought in as much depth about is basic education. I've done a lot of higher education stuff, but yeah, those are my general thoughts. Dumza, Dumzisto, Dumza also says I just heard him that Liverpool is is the best team in in. In the Premier League, so that's very good. City fan, wow. Dumza is no longer working on SMWX. <laughs> it's been great working with him. You know, it's been right. <laughs> no, no, great. <laughs> cool, so we are on to our last question. Hi, what happened to Mr. Jokes? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, okay. Our last question comes from a very important person. 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, Sumeya Hendrix would like to know. Hmm, who's that? <clears throat> what do you love about your wife? The NB question. That happens to be my wife who commented on my Twitter post. Like she couldn't just send me a WhatsApp or at least at home be like. But anyway, she asked, what do I love about my wife? No, really. Um, I love my wife's kindness. Like that was what stood out for me in terms of her personality. Like I'd, I'd never met someone who I thought was so good. And that was almost inspiring. And that I was like, if I'm around a person this good all the time, that's going to make me better. When we have children, they're going to get inspiration from the goodness of their mother. You want a kind partner, people, because relationships aren't always easy. But what gets you through the difficult moments is the kindness of your partner when they put themselves in your shoes and you put them yourself in their shoes and you identify with them and you're like, actually, you know what? You were right about that. Mm -hmm. Do I say that a lot to Sumeya? You'll have to ask Sumeya about that on her YouTube channel. But I really love that about her. And she's she's an incredible person who in many ways I aspire to be like. And I know that our son will benefit from drawing inspiration from. Even though she sends weird tweets on my own Twitter timeline. Yes, guys, the bar for the rest of us is still on the floor. This happened <laughs> way a long time ago. So please, they don't always sound like this. <laughs> we know as South African women, we know the truth. That was our last question. Bringing up the average of Tosa men. Yo, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a different channel. <laughs> That's a conversation for the Mac G podcast. Yay, yay, yay. Please yeah, invite yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tolanang, as well. Also, this is just a great chance for us to get someone who's so central to the channel <clears throat> to be heard on the channel for the first time. Next thing, Tolanang will be on camera. Then you she'll see, be hosting episodes. I then... feel tired. See, bombastic <laughs> side. Because now I'm as interview people no you know no comment down below if Solanang should do all the interviews from here on in thank you so much for all uh the questions it's so great to see like this community growing and this channel becoming something really important for me hopefully also for you spread the fire spread the love and uh see you on the next episode of smwx aye the Caesar and Bofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, aye, aye.